Kirsten's compassion and brilliance. And it is my absolute pleasure to introduce her to y'all this morning as she talks about grief and her work. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it is wonderful to look out and to see so many faces that I know, uh, mostly because I know what you all are moving through. And um, it's beautiful that you came here today to continue to move that through that. So thank you. Um, like Georgie said, my name is Kirsten Hedges. Some of you might recognize me as the person who sits right over there every Sunday. Um, but whether I am creating content for Sunday school, whether I am booking speakers or setting up chairs or sitting over there, standing up here, it is a project that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, so thank you for being here today. I'm really glad to be up here on the other side of the program. Uh, like Georgie said, I'm also an herbalist. Uh, fresh and new, but something that's been very important to me. And so I wanted to start off class with a little bit of that energy. And so Jalen and Ariel are going to be handing out some teas for you all now. It's a blend that I made. Um, it's a variation of a tincture formula that I, um, that I make called Grieving Boldly. And the tea formula is a little different just because some herbs uh, like to be used in different ways. And so this particularly is a blend of motherwort, holy basil, rose hips, orange peel, and peppermint. Um, I wanted to make it today not only to introduce to you all uh, these herbal energies, but also because we're gonna be talking about some really heavy topics today. And I wanted you to have it in case you're needing to feel grounded or supported or something to lean on. So make sure to use it in that way uh, if you need it. And like I said, I'm really excited to be here today, but I'm gonna be honest with you all um, that I am scared shitless to give this talk today. Um, earned the E on that podcast, Georgie, yeah. Um, I'm really scared to talk about this because in the classes that I've given before, I've been able to show up and give people tools and truths that are able to make their existence and experiences easier. And I don't have that to offer today. Um, I wish that I could tell you some secret magical world, word that makes all of the unknowns of death known to us suddenly. Um, but I can't do that today, and I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. But the good news is that we're not here to talk about death today. We're here to talk about grief, and those are two different things. Um, and grief is something that I do know a good bit about. <laughs> Before we get too into this, I want to do a little check-in with you all because if there's something that my therapist and a few years of working in retail and managing a staff of employees has taught me, it's that you can never undervalue a check-in. So, um, when you came in today, you noticed that there was a piece of paper on your chair, and in the top section, there is a journaling prompt. And if you don't have a pen, just raise your hand and someone can come grab you one, bring it to you. For podcast listeners, I want to read the journal prompt, um, and please feel free to uh, journal along with us if you're listening on the podcast. The prompt says, what's one loss, situation, person, experience, or feeling that brought you here today? Write a little about it. And we're going to take just a few seconds to do that. There's no reason, hi, welcome. There's no reason to go like super deep or get too, you know, into this and pick off scabs that don't need to be picked. So just take a few seconds to check in about what it is that drew you here today. And for the people who just came in, we're finishing or we're uh, filling out the journaling prompt section of the top portion of the paper. Just a quick check in um, to really identify what it is that drew you here today. And if you need a pen, just let us know. So is there anyone who is feeling a little bold and a little courageous today that would be willing to share um, maybe one of the things that they wrote down? Um, I promise this is a safe space. Awesome, yeah. I just wrote two sentences. That's all I had today. But my best friend, Sal, um, passed away on September 3rd, 2019. 
and I would love to learn creative and sustainable tools uh, kind of to deal with grief. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else want to share? Come on, you know you want to. What do you want to leave here today? What do you want to honor? Um, my, uh, I'm sort of grieving a loss of a former sense of self or an identity that I uh, thought that I was or would be, and I'm sort of learning to uh, grieve and move on from that expectation. Um, for me, um, I'm grieving the death of my cousin by suicide and my mother as well, um, within a couple of months apart. And then also three close friendships that ended all last year as well. I am uh, here from a little bit of an advance angle. I've just learned of two very serious and uh, not great prognosis cancer diagnoses within my close family and um, my, my grandma and her brother. And I am trying to arm myself in the face of that without controlling it. Thank you for sharing. I really do mean that too. I have a lot of gratitude for anyone who's willing to speak up and share what they're holding. Um, in the interest of reciprocity, I would like to do the same and share and exercise a little bit of vulnerability with you all um, to give some understanding as to why I'm here today. So about a year ago, almost to the day, my dad died and His death was complicated in ways that I cannot even begin to explain in this space, so I'm not going to, because I'm not here today to offer my trauma to you all on some silver platter. I'm here today for another intention, and it's one I had to get really clear about. It's something I had to spend a lot of time checking in with myself around. And I was at my therapist's office a few weeks ago and I was sitting in the lobby reading a short story, waiting for my appointment. And it was this beautiful story of a young girl who went down to a river and she found a musk beetle. And she was captivated by this musk beetle. Um, she had never experienced anything like its smell and aptly named it puts off this musky odor. She had never smelled anything quite so sweet and sour at the same time, something that was both good and bad. It was a complexity that she knew for the first time in this experience. And so what she did was ran home to her grandparents' house to share it. And at this point in the story, there was this sentence that was not integral to the plot and not integral to really the story at all, but it rang out to me as my intention for being here today. So I want to read it to you all. Grandma said I had done right, for when you come across something that is good, first thing to do is to share it with whoever you can find. That way, the good spreads out to no telling where it will go, and that is right. And that is why I'm here today because I want to talk to you all about the things that I have been so blessed to find in my grief and my processing, um, because I know not all of us have the ability to slow down and engage our grief in this way. So, what's the difference between grieving and grieving boldly? I heard grief once described as a painful yet necessary process. And I tend to agree with that statement, but would go a step further to say that grieving boldly is the healthiest and most necessary of grieving. And grieving boldly involves a few things. The first thing that it involves is honesty. Honesty about what you're feeling, honesty about where you are, honesty about what you're experiencing. And with that honesty, a powerful thing to do is to be visible with that honesty. So grieving boldly requires visibility and transparency. Grieving boldly also requires an acceptance of the very raw state that you find yourself in. I'll acknowledge that these are not easy things to do, 
but I will continue to remind everyone here and remind myself that they are necessary things. For me, that honesty and transparency looked like lots of things. It looked like everyone in my life knowing what was going on. My coworkers knew what was going on. My bosses knew what was going on. My friends knew what was going on with me. It made such a difference to not have to hold those things so close as I went into the spaces that were a part of my world. Early in my grief, I was really blessed to come across a button given to me by Narinder, who is a powerful woman, shadow worker, um, magician, um, especially as it relates to death. And it was a button that said, I'm grieving, thank you for your kindness. And anyone here who was around me in that time knows I exhausted that button. It was a part of my everyday wardrobe. And wearing that button was so great because I could immediately let people know where I was. I could immediately exercise vulnerability without words. And I can't tell you how many beautiful connections I made with strangers who saw that button, who were moving through the same thing or just had sympathy for what I was going through. Um, it really made a difference. The other part of my visibility included being really transparent across my social media. And I know that sounds silly, but it wasn't to me. I know that we live in this space where we want to have like life. I had to get really okay with fucking overshare. This is my life, and if you want to know what's going on, this is it. And that was really empowering for me. We live in this interesting society that whether it's social media or just everyday interactions requires of us this really twisted intimacy where we have to share so much but we're starved of real connection with others. And grieving boldly asks you to do the opposite of that. In a society that asks you to hold your grief close to the chest, grieving boldly asks you to stand fully and boldly and the wide range of emotions that you're going to experience, to wade out into the density of them, feel them, and invoke cycles of release and resilience. And so we're gonna talk about some ways to do that today. One really important component of inducing those cycles of release and resilience is around the mental and emotional processing component. And one of my sort of favorite um, theories I was introduced to in grieving was this idea from a woman named Susan David. She's a psychologist who also has a book. Um, and the concept is called emotional agility. Is anyone here familiar with that term? So emotional agility is really interesting. It's this idea that we can use our emotions and our thoughts as a way to enhance ourselves as opposed to using them in a way that creates negative experience for us, at least internal experience. And Susan David explains that the way that we engage emotional agility is through two steps. The first that she explains is awareness. So the process of being really aware of what you're feeling. And her second step is to have some accuracy around what you're feeling. And that means that we want to get really accurate with what emotion or thought that we're experiencing. Because frustration is not the same as anger. And sadness is not the same as sorrow. So she explains that by being aware of what we're feeling, being accurate about what it is that we're feeling, engaging that accuracy with just a sense of curiosity, that we can have this emotionally agile state of being. I would go a step further to say that there's one other A I would like to add to that, which is acceptance. Because if we can be aware of what we're feeling, if we can accurately deduce what it is that we're holding, and if we can greet it with acceptance and compassion, we can move through our emotions in a way that we don't create these patterns and loops of triggers and repression. So emotional agility is a really helpful tool, a mental processing component to engage around grieving. The other tool that I found is from the goddess herself, my personal hero, um, absolute hero, Brene Brown. 
She um, is an interesting character. She's this person who is a researcher and has found her way sort of into the heart of metaphysics. And the talk that captivates me most is when she's talking about her vulnerability studies. And she explains that she started these studies because she wanted to find a way to prove and have an accurate method of how she could never engage vulnerability ever again because it sucks. A feeling I'm sure we are all familiar with. But in her studies, what she found is that actually we can never avoid vulnerability in any way that makes this human existence meaningful to us. She lays out this scale that I find really helpful. It's like a vulnerability scale. And on one end, we have the lack of vulnerability. And what we always find there, and what she found in her studies, is that a lack of vulnerability always produces shame. And in that shame, we starve ourselves of what's on the other end of that scale, which is connection. So she found that the ability to fully engage vulnerability always leads to connection. Connection is such a beautiful thing. It's something that we're all doing here today by showing up. And I just found that really beautiful because I think shame is an emotion that ties itself with grief in lots of interesting and intricate ways. And it was nice for me to find out that there's an antidote to shame and that's vulnerability. That's what I mean when I say the things that I have to share with you all aren't easy. And I recognize that saying the way to help yourself through this process is just to be vulnerable, right? That's, that's no easy task. Um, but what Brene Brown found and what I found is that it makes all the difference. So vulnerability. In addition to the mental and emotional components of grief, I also want to talk about the energetics of grief, which seems appropriate given the space that we're in. In more traditional senses, grief is thought to be, especially traditional, I mean like uh, chakra theory, sort of the metaphysics that we're all acquainted with. Grief is thought to be housed in the heart chakra, a space where all love and grief can coexist at the same time. But the theory that I was most drawn to was how traditional Chinese medicine explores and explains grief. And I'm going to do my best to um, relay to you the things that my very kind and patient acupuncturist Judith has explained to me. Um, I hope that I can explain it as eloquently as she has because the theory of how the body and spirit processes grief through this Chinese medicine lens is actually really thoughtful and powerful perspective to have. So in Chinese medicine, they don't necessarily think of grief as being something that we're actually wrestling with the idea of death or death itself or loss, whether it's loss of self, loss of job, loss of whatever. In Chinese medicine, they understand grief to be the processing of the fact that something was once this way but now is not this way anymore and will never be that way again. Which makes sense to me. In Chinese medicine, grief is a process of integration and filtration. And one of the reasons I really love TCM is because they link emotions with organs and elements. And the organs associated with grief are the lungs and the large intestine. And when you think about what these organs do for us, it's the same thing that we're being called to do with grief, right? When we breathe, we breathe in all of this air that has lots of stuff in it, some stuff that we don't need, some stuff that's harmful to us. And so we take it in, and through various process of, uh, processes of filtration, our lungs get everything down to the one essential thing that we need, which, which is oxygen, and then gives it to our body. This is why breathing and grief is very important. This is why people explain and um, describe their grief as sitting in their chest. 
another metaphor um, when we move to the other organ of the large intestines is a metaphor that, to be honest, is sometimes uh, more appropriate when we're talking about grief, especially in the difficult times of grief. Because the large intestine is literally an organ who its job all day long is for someone to walk up to it and say, so here's this shit. Just like see if there's anything in here that's good and useful. And the large intestine does just that. It pulls out metals and waters that our body needs. It extracts everything of essence from this pile of shit and it removes the rest. Form to essence to new form, which is exactly what the processing of grief is about. So in the moments where your grief feels heavy and you feel like you can't engage the emotions that are coming up for you, I want you to offer a kindness to yourself that your body does this every second of the day. Your body knows this movement. It knows what to do. And if your body knows what to do, you know what to do. And in the roughest times of my grief, that was a welcome reminder. Another component of this in my understanding of TCM and these organs is that essentially the worst thing for these organs and for grief is stagnation. That any sort of stagnation is not conducive to what our organs are trying to do, what our emotions are trying to do. And so if we can keep grief moving in some way, we can keep processing. We don't repress and these things don't get bigger. Hi, it's me again. I hope you are enjoying this episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. I wanted to pop in and say, if you like what you're hearing, especially if you love what you're hearing and you listen to our podcast week after week and you gain anything positive from it, I would really appreciate it if you would share this podcast with anyone that you think we can help and serve through these messages. It is our goal in 2020 to grow this podcast to have a further reaching audience. And the way that we've grown our business in the past has been through word of mouth through people like you. So I'm just reaching out and asking if you have anyone that would benefit from these episodes, please, please share our podcast with those that are near and dear to you so we can help grow our global community and we can grow and learn and transform together. Thank you so much for listening. And now back with our episode. So what I want to do today with you all is a little breathing exercise because like I said, now we sort of understand that if we're, if grief is moving, then we're good. If we're breathing, we're grieving. And so I want us to do a little breathwork exercise today which feels really appropriate because next weekend I'm actually going to be in Elihi up in North Georgia um, at a breathwork retreat. So I wanted to bring some of that to this class today. So I think we pretty well understand this connection between grief and the breath. We've sort of covered it, that grief is processed through the lungs, the lungs purpose and job is breathing. And so if we want to move these energies, breathing is a great way to start. And what I want to lead you all through today is what I call an ace of cups exercise. And if you follow me on Instagram, um, you definitely have seen me sort of promo this a little bit. Um, And it's an ace of cups breathing exercise. And what I want to do is pass around a card, a tarot card from the Neo Tarot of the ace of cups. And I just want you to look at that image. This energy exercise came to me one day when I was um, in an acupuncture session. And in case you haven't figured out by now, I do my best thinking and intuiting when my body is full of needles. Um, I was lying there and I was experiencing this intense facial pain around my jaw. And I was trying to move this energy in the way that I had always been taught, especially through Reiki and chakra work, is that it was meant to move down that I wanted to return it to the earth because the earth knew what to do with it. I needed to ground this energy. And all of a sudden, at the height of this pain, I had this image come to mind. And it was one of a fountain 
with water moving freely up and over and down in this really beautiful and effortless way. And when I got home from that session, I decided to pull a tarot card, which is part of my routine around my sessions. And the card I pulled was the Ace of Cups. And when I pulled it, I smiled because the image that's present on the Ace of Cups is that exact movement. It's this image of a cup full of water spilling up and over, especially in the Neo-Tarot, in this really gleeful, freeing way. And it comes back down to this pool of water that sits at our feet, this return to source. And so I want us to do that exercise today um, just for a few minutes because I found it to be um, very helpful for moving, moving emotions that don't desire to be grounded. They desire a full expression. They want to be heard. They want to be realized. And then they want to return to source. And so um, we're going to do that exercise today. So just get comfy in your seats, uh, comfortable in your skin. And I only have two rules for this exercise. If you've been to one of my classes before or listened on the podcast, um, you know that sometimes I really like to have things be very heavily guided. And we're not going to go that route today. Like I said, there are only two rules for this exercise. One is that you keep breathing. You cannot hold your breath. And the breath can be whatever you want it to be. I'm not going to count your ins and outs. I don't want you to force it anywhere. Just let it move however it needs to. And the second rule of this is that I want you to use your breath as a way to prime this movement, this ace of cup movement, as you let the energy come up, over, out, down, around, and back to your feet. So two rules. Does everybody feel pretty clear about that? Perfect. And the card's coming here too. The visual helps. So go ahead and get comfortable. Start just thoughtfully breathing. I would encourage you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so checking into the body checking into the body to see where any tension might be existing for you maybe that tension looks like pain maybe it just looks like tightness maybe it's just a simple awareness and I want you to breathe into that space that you find again the breath in whatever pattern feels good and comfortable to you breathing in and out using the breath as a way to allow your energy that wants to be realized to move up, out through the crown, and this beautiful burst of release as it moves back down through your aura to return to a pool of source at your feet. Continue to breathe in this way and visualize the Ace of Cups movement. And with this next round, I want you to go ahead and see where you are and do one more completion of the energy moving up through your body, out through the crown, staying connected to the breath, allowing that energy to release and move through your aura in an effortless way as it comes back to the ground around your feet, returning to a pool of water, of source energy, knowing that it's safe there, knowing that it can be returned. And with this next breath, I want you to start using your breath now to come back into the awareness of your body. There's no reason to force this as I'm going to count you back in. Taking a breath in, five, four, giving a nice wiggle to your fingers and your toes as you exhale. Taking another breath in, three, two, giving a slight shake to your shoulders as you exhale. Inhale, one, and when you feel comfortable, open your eyes. How did that feel? Did you experience the energy? Were you able to have some release and relief of energy that just wanted to move? Beautiful, good. Remember the, the way that you feel now because what I want to challenge you to do is to do this two more times today. It takes a minute to two minutes to do this. Um, and I challenge you even further that I would love for you to do this three times a day for the next week and just see what you find. That's six, minute top, six minutes tops of your day. Just see what comes up. 
And while, while I won't be here next Sunday, we will have our staff here. And so I also encourage you to come back next Sunday and share with us what comes up and what you found. Um, like I said, this has been a movement that's been very helpful for me. And so I challenge you to just integrate it into your life a little bit to see if you're able to sort of have that creative component as a way to engage your energy. So, as I've already said today, um, the tools that I've found are not easy ones. And I had to get really okay with that just being the fact of what I had to show up with here today. Um, I talk a lot about with my friends, my therapist, and my acupuncturist, how I long to be this person who's just like fun and we can talk about crystals, we can talk about baths. I'm like not that person. <laughs> And that's okay. Um, as my acupuncturist reminds me, she says, you'll be fun one day. <laughs> Seriously, if you need acupuncture, go see Judith. She doubles as a stand-up comedian. And the reason that a lot of these tools, I'm sort of going to launch now into three categories of really tangible tools that we can talk about to help you. And the biggest thing is that these are asking you to engage grief, which is a really unpredictable energy. Um, it's big. It's at times really scary. Um, but these tools for me have been able to take that unpredictable energy and let me dance and move with it. That's what makes this grieving boldly and not just grieving. So I have three categories of tools I want to cover today. The first is in the realm of ritual. And when I'm talking about ritual, I'm not meaning it in, it in the sense that you might think that I'm going to be talking about this in. Because there are certainly lots of really witchy, spell-like ways that you can engage the energies of grief, but that's not what I want to share with you all today. Because I will be honest, I use ritual as a way to help generate energy, as a way to help enhance my connection to the spirit realm, and I will say that grief gives you both of those things instantly. So I haven't found the need to do spells or traditional witchy rituals to generate that energy and to enhance that connection because it happens suddenly in the face of any sort of loss that you move through. So the ritual I want to talk about instead are two components that are present in all ritual that are going to be helpful for allowing you to work with the energy that is suddenly present and to work with the spirit connection that happens very rapidly. And the first component of that is routine. Yes, routine. And when I say routine, I don't mean it in the traditional sense that you might be thinking. We're not talking about discipline. We're talking about creating expectancy for yourself, expectancy for your spirit, knowing that it knows what it can find at any given day. And these rituals can be small. So like I have a daily ritual that I do, which is upon rising, I always wash my face with cold water. Um, water is a really important element in grief. Um, and for me, waking up to that refreshing, fluid, emotional, cleansing energy is something that my body really enjoyed. So ritual for me on a daily basis doesn't look like I'm going to wake up every day at 7.30. Because if you know me, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but also, I'm doing a disservice to my body when I do that. I'm trying to kick into this disciplined overdrive where I'm telling it what it needs and when it needs it, right? That's not helpful in grief because you're going to be a different person every day you wake up and that person might need to sleep in or they might want to wake up super early. And so to have that sort of fluidity in your routine is really important. Consistency is the key however you can carve out consistency for yourself. One of the other routines um, that is really helpful uh, for me on a weekly basis was therapy, to know that I knew there was a space that I could take all of this to at least once a week. And so I encourage you, whatever way that you enjoy processing or supporting yourself emotionally, mentally, energetically, 
to create a schedule around that to give your spirit something to look forward to because it's just very helpful. One of the larger routines that found me in my grief was actually um, an herbalism program. In fact, the first weekend of that 10-month-long program, um, taught by Patricia Howell, who is the end-all be-all in terms of herbalism, um, the first weekend I went to her intro weekend, I uh, came home and that's when I learned that my dad had died. And that program became the most beautiful routine for me because I knew no matter what was happening in my life that once a month I would load up my car, I would drive up into the North Georgia mountains and I would learn about herbs. I would learn about medicine and healing in a way that allowed my grief to have a vehicle of expression. And so I have endless gratitude for the people who greeted every version of me that showed up in Clayton, Georgia each month because there were lots of her. But it was a routine that saved me and it was a craft that saved me and it's a craft that continues to save me every day. So routine, schedule, expectancy. The other component of ritual I want to talk about is container. Container is really important because we can't hold all of this on our own. We're not meant to. And container can look like maybe much more traditional things that we're already aware of, especially in metaphysical and witchy senses. Container can be a salt circle. Container can be an energy bubble. But container can also be people and container can also be places. And one of those spaces for me is a trauma group, a women's group that I go to once a week. And there is nothing like sitting in a circle of badass, powerful women as we are present for each other, as we show up to exercise vulnerability and connection and even better as we show up in the moments when we can't exercise those things and they are present with us in our shame. So container, whatever that looks like for you, people, spaces, physical things that can hold what you're moving through. Because if we can give ritual and consistency and container to this big energy of grief that greets us, we can process and move through it and it's a ritual in and of itself. The next thing I wanna to cover today is mantra. And mantra can be lots of different things and it is lots of different things to lots of different people. To some people, mantra is a word. To some people, mantra is a sound. To some people, mantra is something that is meant to be individually crafted. To some people, they use the word mantra to mean affirmation. And for some people, they believe that mantra is meant to be ancient and traditional. There are lots of mantras I could have chosen today. And in the interest of time, I'm just going to share one with you. And I'm sharing it because it's something that, it's a mantra that found me very early in my grieving. And the mantra is a call, A-K-A-L or A-K-A-A-L. A call literally means timeless, immortal being. And a call is a literal call. It is an echo, a wish, a plea that we chant across the ethers of time with the intention that we let those sound currents carry the soul and the spirit of our loved one across to the place of the undying being. It's a wish, literally, that our love can carry someone through the most ultimate journey. In Sikh communities and Kundalini communities, they have a tradition of chanting a call three times at the time of death. And it's something that's really beautiful. And I will say that, as with most things in life, 
and most things metaphysical, who knows if they actually work? Who knows if we can ever prove that they work? But I will tell you that when I chant a call into the abyss, I feel something. And so if you're wanting to move that love and that energy for whatever is lost for you, and you want to let it carry someone in this ultimate journey, I challenge you to chant a call. In addition to mantra, um, I want to close with an herbal category, as you are probably not surprised. Herbs are this very interesting thing. They have this dynamic energy. Um, in my education, one of the things that herbs did for me was give me a lot of affirmation that if the thing that I'm experiencing, the emotion, the thought, whatever, if there's an herb that has folklore and mythology around how to support that emotion, that tells me that what I'm experiencing is not only valid, but undeniably uniform. It's something that is literally so universal, the earth said to us, here's this thing that can help. So I have a few herbs that I wanna share today. Um, I had lots that I wanted to, but I'm gonna keep it down to three. The first is motherwort. And I do want to give a just disclaimer for everyone in the room and everyone listening on the podcast that um, while I'm talking about herbs in more metaphysical and energetic senses, I'm not talking about herbs necessarily in like Western medical sense. Um, I'm not talking demulcents. I'm not talking hepatics. Um, that while I'm not using those terms, herbs always work on all levels. So even if you're using it for some sort of spiritual resource, know that the herb also works on the physical and the mental. So I encourage you before you introduce any herb that you're unfamiliar with um, into your routine that you talk to an herbalist to make sure that there aren't any contraindications with your constitution. Um, I'm happy to field any of those questions, um, but also reach out to any of your friendly neighborhood herbalists. There are lots of them. So, motherwort. Uh, motherwort is actually present in the amulet that I'm wearing today. It's an interesting herb. Um, it's one of my favorites. When I first started studying it, I told a fellow friend, an herbalist, that I think I'm really into mugwort. And she said, I'm not surprised. Um, the botanical name for motherwort is Leonardus cardiaca. And that translates very roughly into lion's tail heart or lion's heart. And that is exactly what motherwort gives you, this courageous, open, compassionate energy where you have the heart of a lion. Motherwort is a very bitter herb. That's why it was minimally present in your blend today. Um, but it has this interesting sort of way that it interacts is, you know, it's very bitter. Um, in taste, but it has the opposite effect for me in which it dissolves any bitterness or jadedness present in my being so that I feel like I can engage grief and sadness or whatever emotion is lying there waiting for me to process. It also is known, uh, Patricia taught me this, to help move repressed sorrow and unresolved grief. Some other word one of the keys to grieving boldly because it gives us bravery and courage while also supporting us as we move through grief and sorrow. The other herb I'll talk about today is holy basil, also known um, as Tulsi. And I prefer to call it holy basil mostly because it reminds me of what this plant is, which is divine. It is utter divinity. Um, holy basil is this beautiful, it was in your tea as well, it's the floral scent that you probably experienced. And holy basil is this beautiful plant with this gorgeous smell and these beautiful purple blooms and some of them, the Krishna varieties, have these purple leaves. It's just gorgeous. Um, but mytho the mythology behind Tulsi and holy basil is a complex and complicated one. Tulsi is thought to be the embodiment of a woman named Vrinda in the Hindu traditions. And Vrinda 
was an interesting character. She was a woman of utmost devotion and piety and chastity, and she was rewarded for all of those things with a tragic end to her life, as is very common in mythology for women. <laughs> um, but all of her mythology, her end, her tragedy, her boon given to her by Vishnu, um, all have rolled together to make her the embodiment of Tulsi and Holy Basil. Her mythology has warped into this new form. Her essence has been transmuted to be represented with this beautiful plant so that when people look at Holy Basil, they're reminded of Rinda and they're reminded of the ability for us to transmute and transform. In fact, in Hindu rituals and communities, a ritual is not considered complete unless it has holy basil present. And so whether we're talking about it in this transformative sense, whether we're talking about it um, in a more Western medical sense where it supports stress and a very interesting pathway where you know, you have these components of like the HPA access and cortisol and adrenals, the way all of those things mix together to support stress. It also supports weak lungs, which we know by now is that the lungs are really important in the process of grieving. So all around, holy basil is, is this plant for me that encapsulates everything that we greet with grief. And so whether it's transformation, whether it's supporting your stress, whether it's helping you breathe deeper and better and more consistently, um, holy basil can do and hold and be all of those things. And that is why it is an herb that will forever have my heart. The last herb or plant that I want to talk about today is mimosa. And it's even better than the beverage by its same name. Mimosa is this beautiful tree, and if you've never seen a mimosa tree, I really encourage you to Google it because it's this tree that has these pink and white feathery plumes that exist in bursts that literally just the sight of them makes you feel joyful and uplifted. And when used medicinally, the flowers have the same use, which they induce a state of joyfulness and uplifting, that they remind us that joy is present in our world even when we aren't experiencing it. So mimosa flowers are very helpful in grief. In addition to the flowers being used, the bark is also used. And the bark has some different properties. It's very grounding. It also helps with something called shin disturbance. And anyone who has studied with Patricia could speak at length about what shin disturbance is. But I will very briefly explain that shin disturbance is the way that Chinese medicine explains um, dissociation with trauma. So the instinct of our spirit to eject from the physical form when we feel unsafe to dwell there. And mimosa bark is this beautiful bark that like reminds your spirit that it's safe to be in the body, especially when paired with holy basil, which also reminds us that our body is a holy place to be. And so mimosa bark is really great for when you're needing to feel grounded, when you're feeling really traumatized by whatever loss you're experiencing and how you're grieving it. It's a wonderful support for those things. And you can interact with these three herbs in lots of different ways. You can take them as tinctures, you can take them as teas, uh, make them into amulets if you so choose. I have a few blends here today that if you're interested, I can chat with you about. Um, but there are lots of ways to engage this herbal medicine. And so I really encourage you to explore the various forms. Um, I really encourage you to connect if it's something that you're interested in learning more about or integrating into your routines and rituals around grief, um, because I have found herbs to be the most supportive in my process. The last thing I sort of want to say to you all is that if you showed up here today wondering what Grieving Boldly was and wanting to know how you could do so, I want to offer you the perspective that you already knew what that was. You knew what it was because it's what allowed you to show up here today. And so in the moments when you're struggling with what do I do and how do I do it, and maybe the reminder that your body knows what to do just isn't enough in that moment, I want you to grab this experience and hold it tight 
as proof for your doubt. Let it speak to you in those moments when you are filled with fear and doubt and knowing that you've already done this, you know how to do it, and that you can grieve and you can grieve boldly. I had another exercise that I wanted to share with you all, but because of time, I had to sort of edit it out. And it's this beautiful exercise of moving metal into water. Metal is the element associated with grief. And it's another visualization that came to me that I use a lot that's really powerful. So if you're interested in that visualization, come see me after class, and I would love to send you an audio of that um, because it's very, very helpful. Um, I encourage you to connect further. Um, you can find me lots of places. You can find me here at Modern Mystic. You can find me on Instagram at FolkCareATL. Uh, you can find my website, FolkCareATL.com. <laughs> Georgie is showing us the beautiful placards here, but please do reach out and connect. Um, like I said, this is just sort of my life's work. If you're looking for a space to talk about and process grief and trauma and the things that other spaces haven't been able to hold for you, um, please come connect because that's just the shit that I love. Um, we have a few minutes left and I want to open it up. I know I've given a lot of information today, but I'm curious if you have any questions or anything I could clarify. Um, the herbs that I had present in the tea. So I definitely would have included orange peel. Oranges are a really beautiful thing. They have this effect of helping with hormonal balance, um, even just the smell of them alone. And so I really enjoy that. The biggest one that I had to edit out and I was bummed to do so is peppermint, which is not traditionally an herb that you will find a lot of writings around for grief. Um, but since we know that the lungs are important and that peppermint helps us breathe, peppermint's a beautiful, beautiful one. Also rose, um, rose petals are really wonderful for grief as well. So lots of them, but those would be my top three that didn't make the cut. For sure. So um, the question for anyone listening to the podcast is, are there any specific crystals that would be helpful for grief? And so um, there are a few that I have up here with me today. Rhodochrosite is a beautiful crystal for grief helps you really access those deep parts of the heart center in a way that helps you move through your emotions. Another is titanium quartz um, is really wonderful for grief. It has this reminder of um, joy and sorrow. Um, another one that I really love is lepidolite, um, which helps us sort of not feel overwhelmed by our emotions really beautiful stuff. And so those are the three that I would recommend. Titanium quartz, rhodochrosite, and lepidolite. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do have questions, please come chat with me after class. I'm happy to answer them. Thank you all so much for being here today. Um, I want to close uh, this class the same way we do every class, which is lots of gratitude uh, for the people who showed up, the people who make it happen. Uh, thank you so much for being here and have a blessed Sunday. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.